Hi, and welcome to Cryptobiography. I'm your host, Brandon Starr. This is episode 332 of Cryptobiography, and it is part nine of tomorrow. And here we go. There were two other doors off of this room besides the one that opened onto the room she'd slept in. One was clearly a front door. There were some shoes beside it. She assumed the other was the main bedroom. As she was looking at that other door, it opened, and a young girl, perhaps four, came out. She had hair of blonde color that would certainly darken soon to her mother's shade, and, like her mother, was she was almost painfully thin. She looked at Betty, then at Prudence. The girl's awake? the girl asked. Yes, Chastity, Prudence said. This is Betty. Hi, Betty, Chastity said. Are you sick? No, I'm tired and weak, but I feel pretty good, Betty said. Thanks to your mom and dad, she added, to be polite. Chastity nodded. How big is your family? Betty asked Prudence. Just the three of us, Prudence said, but she said it in a clipped way, as though it wasn't a subject she wanted to dwell on. What about your family? Chastity asked, looking up at Betty. I'm afraid my family is dead, Betty said. Chastity looked sad and put a hand on her lap. What happened to them? Chastity asked. Chastity, Betty may not want to talk about that, Prudence said. It's okay, Betty said. They were killed in a raid by the mainlanders. That's also why I'm here. Who are the mainlanders? Chastity asked. Betty was about to say, you are, but then thought better of it. People from somewhere around here, I don't know who exactly. They'd got hold of a big old ship and used it to attack our town on the island. Oh, Chastity said. It's okay, Betty said, but it wasn't. She just didn't want to make Chastity sad about something that she couldn't help. She finished the stew, thanked Prudence, and asked Chastity if she would show her around. Go on, Prudence said, overhearing the request. The youngster brought her outside. It turns out the little house, as she suspected, was not from before the inundation, but had been built more recently, probably from scavenged materials. The inside walls had been painted white, but the lack of non-functional electrical outlets and the lack of an indoor non-functional bathroom gave it away. The house was on a little hill not far from the water. There wasn't a town in view, though the hills around meant that there could be one nearby and she wouldn't know. Chastity pointed out her father, who was fishing from a rock that stuck out a little way into the water. He was using a simple rod and a line. She wondered why he didn't use a boat of some kind. Perhaps there wasn't one around. But was a line and hook the best way? She didn't say anything. When they got back, Betty had a few questions for Prudence. She'd gotten her head on straight now that she'd seen where she was. The ship went down, and I'm sure it's a long way under the water, though it wasn't far from shore. 
but there were dozens of women and girls, all of whom had life jackets on. The water was cold. Maybe they didn't survive. But did anyone else make it? Was anyone else on the beach when you found me? Prudence looked shocked, but shook her head. My husband was going down to the water to do his morning fishing when he found you. He didn't say anything about other people in the water or on the beach. I guess all those people got swept off somewhere else. Betty's heart sank. That would mean her friend Joan was surely dead. She was the only survivor of the shipwreck. She was mostly numb for most of the day, but that evening she started coming around. She couldn't stay on the mainland. There wasn't anyone here she knew, no one who shared her values. Prudence was nice enough, but it was clear she thought of the islanders as some other people, and she didn't care if the islanders got attacked or not. But she didn't have a lot of ideas on how to get home. Prudence and her husband, whose name was Ezekiel, naturally did not have a boat of any kind, or they would use it for fishing. Nor were there any boats around. There were only few houses within a kilometer, and they were all simple houses like the ones the Carpenters, as Prudence's family was named, had. None of them had boats or animals. They eked out a living one day at a time. Whatever Prudence and Ezekiel thought of islanders in general, now that they knew Betty, they treated her well. She found that the little room was supposed to be Chastity's, and she made a small bed in the main room, thanking the carpenters for their hospitality, but not willing to keep a little girl out of her room, essentially the only luxury the carpenters enjoyed. And it got worse in a hurry. The next day, several people came on horseback. They all had black shirts with red crosses on them. Betty saw them before they saw her. She didn't know where to go. There were trees, if she went away from the water, but spread out. She would be spotted. She could only duck into the house before they got in view of the front door. She did, and then hid under Chastity's bed. The mainlanders rode right up to the front door. Because the walls were so thin, <clears throat> she could hear the conversation, excuse me, even from what was essentially the back of the house. We're looking for any survivors of a shipwreck from the other night, one man said. Have you seen any people living or dead or any wreckage? said another, a woman to Betty's ears. Betty held her breath. She'd read stories of people, basically strangers, who protect others when someone dangerous comes looking for them on behalf of a government. But then Prudence said, Yes, only one survivor. She's inside. Betty knew she was caught. Somehow being pulled out from under a bed seemed like it was the action of a coward or someone with guilt on their mind. She was neither. She got out from under the bed, stood up straight, and faced the door. One of the mainlanders opened the door. Betty looked at him. Besides the shirt with the cross, he wore plain pants and some sort of black, shapeless cap that didn't have a brim. He was tall, towering over Betty, who wasn't nearly full-grown yet, and seemed strongly built, though the cross-shirt was loose-fitting. 
She saw another mainlander peering over his shoulder, and on the other side, Prudence. What did you escape with? the man asked. Nothing but my clothes, Betty said, and this life jacket. She picked it up off the chair beside her. Give it, the man said, stepping into the room for the first time. He towered over the twelve-year-old. She did so. We're taking you back to civilization, the man said. Back home? Betty almost wanted to snap, but refrained. They took her by the shoulders and steered her out of the house. They stopped near the horses. Did anyone else survive? the man asked. No, it was cold. They all got swept away before they could get to shore. The man grunted in what sounded like disbelief. Huh. But you survived? Barely. Up. He put his hands together low, squatting some by the side of one of the horses. There were no horses in Betty's town. Up? You ride in front of Sarah. Betty looked up at the horse. It was taller than she was, and she was intimidated. You either ride in front of her, or we put you across the back of one of the horses, which won't be nearly as comfortable. Okay. Though he hadn't fully explained it, she understood she was supposed to use his hands as a step stool of sorts to get up on the horse. After doing a bit of mental geometry, she figured out which leg she needed to use, and was soon up on top of the horse. She'd read about horses, but had no idea how to ride one. Perhaps a well-seasoned rider could have spurred the horse and escaped. But Betty knew she didn't have a chance of doing that successfully. Soon Sarah was behind her. Where are we going? Back to civilization. That sounded ominous to Betty, but she decided not to say so. And who are you people? A search party? Sarah barked a single laugh. <laughs> More or less, we're the police. Betty'd read stories, but what she'd read about police was sometimes good and sometimes not good. These people were not the kind-hearted folks in some stories rescuing cats from trees and helping people get home. These people felt more like the people from the scarier stories. They trotted off back to civilization, to the people who had set off the raid that killed her family and so many of her friends and neighbors. She did not look back at Prudence and Chastity Carpenter. And that's the end of the episode for this week. I hope you're enjoying it. I am enjoying writing it. Uh, if you have comments and questions about this episode or previous episodes, cryptobiography at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Mastodon. And thanks for listening. Words and Music, copyright 2023, Brandon Starr. Characters and events are fictional, fictionalized, or satirical.